You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little bit Left taller. Jab Productions present Edge of Sports I'm Radio, I'm where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Shmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn, joined as always. By a man who, by the transitive property, has endorsed Donald Trump because his favorite player, <laughs> Tom Brady, has endorsed Donald Trump. Dan Baker, DB, Patriots Nation, Trump Nation, one and the same. What a moment of pride for you all. I, and vaccines cause autism. I, I honestly have thought about not running for the Patriots after that. <laughs> I, I, I cannot even hardly come close to blaming you, but I got to say. At least you got a pretty face. You got a pretty face. <laughs> is this worse for his reputation than Deflategate or Spygate? I think it might be. Uh, I think it is. I think, I mean, actually endorsing Donald Trump, I mean, physically having those words come out of your mouth, I think is something that would be worse for anybody's reputation. I think if the Pope did that, it would be like there would be protests in the Vatican. Back from a one-week <laughs> hiatus. We got the coach. Kevin Nutt, how you doing, coach? Yeah, it was an excellent impression of, uh, was it Chrissy Everett? Oh, Chrissy Everett. Are you, are you trying to talk to us about U.S. Open tennis? No, you no. Missed last week? I'm still, I'm missed still the opportunity. brokenhearted. Don't want to talk about it. Leave you're me alone. Brokenhearted. Moving on. Yeah, you wanted Vinci to win it all, right? And you were so disappointed she lost after, the final. After Serena lost, yeah. No, but I know. I don't no, want to talk about Serena it. Serena thing broke my heart. And, it, I mean, seriously. Yes, like yes. I know. Let's move on. 86,000 pieces. And you're joined by me, Mark. How are you doing, me, Mark? I'm doing great. Yes, sir. Awesome. Very glad to hear it. Mean Mark, uh, we got a show that I think is geared for not just you, but everybody out there. Who not just for me. Likes a critical view of football. <laughs> yeah, what does that and, mean? <laughs> well, because it's a lot of football centric. I mean, we're going to talk today about what we saw week one of the NFL season, and if anything in there gives us pause about some of our own early oh. predictions. Or if we think, ah, it's one week, move on, move on. Uh, for example, uh, Peyton Manning's arm, is it a permanent noodle, or was that just a one noodle occurrence? Mm. Secondly, uh, one noodle that stretches back nine months. Um, or secondly, 
That'd be a long noodle. Uh, we also are going to talk about the passing of Moses Malone because, Coach, you played with Moses. Yes, sir. In 74, class of 74. Class like of me. 74. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. I think we'd all like to hear about that with regards to Moses Malone. Uh, and then we also have a killer interview today. We're talking to Ben Carrington, a professor at the University of Texas. He's on the faculty athletic committee at Texas, and he is going to speak about the ouster Mm-mm. of Steve Patterson, yes. the athletic director of yes. Texas. That yes. is a huge mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to him about how that happened after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. Welcome back, coach. My man. Oh, so glad to have you. And me, Mark. Back. How you doing, me, Mark? It's good to be back with coach. Yes, it is, indeed. So, first things first. We lost an absolute giant in the world of sports this past week, a both literal and figurative and political giant. Literal in that he's six foot ten, uh, figurative in that he looms so large over the sport, and political in that he laid the groundwork against the NCAA, against the hypocrisy of the NCAA decades before so many of the rest of us caught on. I'm talking, of course, about Moses Malone. And just so you listeners out there know, Coach Kevin McNutt actually played with Moses Malone, came Mm -hmm. out of the same high school class, and definitely want to hear about what young Moses was like. Frankly, because given my age, I only knew the 30-something Moses. I only knew the Moses who, like when he was age 30, it's really amazing. When he was 37, he averaged 16 points and nine boards a game. Mm. When he was 34, he led the NBA in offensive rebounds. 34. I mean, and he mm. led the NBA and ABA in offensive rebounds his first five years in the league. I mean, mm-hmm. just remarkable. But just so people have some sense, especially the young folks who don't quite get who Moses Malone was, uh, he, if you combine his two, only two ABA seasons, uh, he in 21 pro seasons, he scored just under 30,000 points. When he retired, it was fourth all time behind just Kareem Wilt and Julius Irving. By the time of his retirement, the number of rebounds he had was behind only Chamberlain and Bill Russell. I mean, really just a remarkable, remarkable skill set of statistics. I mean, when he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, it was one of those things where it just was no question about it. Uh, 13 all-star appearances. But in addition to all of that, politically, Moses Malone was the first player to jump from uh, high school to the pros, signing at age 19 with the Utah Stars of the ABA. It was something that was just unheard of at the time. And so many intelligent people, so many wise old men in the NCAA system, they they called him stupid, they made fun of him, all the rest. And yet, you know what Moses Malone had? Uh, he had a much greater understanding than they did of the actual physical poverty that his family lived in. I mean, a hole in the wall instead of a window was how Moses Malone grew up. As soon as he was able to have enough money for his mom to leave his, their home, uh, the home was immediately condemned. Mm-hmm. Like they'd only kept it open, the local government, as a favor to this family. And so Moses understood that, and he understood the value of his own labor, basically. Mm-hmm. He understood that his labor deserved to be comp- compensated. And he, as he liked to say, he said he, he got about his business. Now, Coach, Mm -hmm. I asked someone earlier today, an old friend of yours, Scoop Jackson, Mm -hmm. about 
I said, I only knew the old Moses. Mm -hmm. What was the young Moses like? How did he play? And he gave me a great answer. But before I say what Scoop Jackson said, I want to hear your answer. (laughs) Tell me about the young Moses. What was his game like? The only chance I really had to play with him was that five-star camp, Garfinkel's five-star camp. And uh, that's where a lot of play. That was before AAU blew up. And you would go to the, the, these camps. Yeah, five and, stars like the most famous. Right, right. One of the Daffy so, Dam that Sunday Carl started. Uh, I could play, baby. What, you, <laughs> what are you talking about? I had game. So, uh, and we were on the I was same. Like, were you team. arrested for trespassing? No, no, no. I was filling it up, baby. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't a five nine guard from the Bronx. I had no wherever you're from. You know what I mean? Okay, go on, five, nine please. Center. But anyway, <laughs> so Moses was playing, and he was just relentless. He would, I mean, he shoot the ball and just go get it, go get it, go get it till he put it in. He just played volleyball by himself. Wow. And um, was it was it that he had a sense of the angles of where it would go off, or was it quick leaping angles, ability? Angles, timing, and just a pit bull with a stake mentality. Would you describe him as athletic? You know what? 19-year-old yes. Moses. Well, I mean, it was, yes, 18-year-old Moses, yes, because he was 6'10", and he was, he was quick to go get that thing. Wait a minute, you just shot it from the left side. How do you get the rebound and put it back in on the right side? Right. You know what I'm saying? That You just didn't see that with somebody 6'10". And we had a big team at St. Anthony. We were the biggest in the city. Um, we, ne- we never played him. But here's the thing. The lore of Moses M- 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 Malone. See, he, um, he played in Petersburg, Virginia, which is about three hours from D.C. Mm-hmm. So what you heard about him. Enough in the D.C. area that it was thought that Moses Malone was going to play at the University of Maryland with right. Lefty Drezel. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. Oh, right. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Because here's what happened. So the word got out that, man, there's, there's this cat down in Petersburg, Moses Malone. And you just knew. First of all, the name, Moses Malone. It's you knew he was a brother and you knew he could play. That's one of the great names, Moses. You Ever. Know, that's not throwing out there easy that you're Moses. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Black Moses was Isaac Hayes around the same time. Mm. Okay, so then, so, they, so you can play. Then there was there was rumors coming out, Dave, about a couple things that teams that because his team went state. I think they I think they won the state championship in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So the word was teams in preparation for him had on defense they had tennis rackets. So that so that when you played on offense you shot the ball with a higher arc. So to get the feel that when you played against Moses you had to shoot it wow. high so he wouldn't block your shot. That was one rumor going around, right? Then there was here's the big one though. They said in the summer, Moses went to the St. Petersburg State Pen and played with the with the with the inmates to get tough and physical. Wow! So that was you know it's all this circulated with Moses in '74 and, and prior to right. So then he cut he, he, he season ends, he signs with Maryland. Lefty stands tall and says, "Yeah." We the UCLA of the East now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I tell you. Was Moses Malone the reason why Lefty Drazel said that famous I, phrase? I, don't quote me on that. He might have okay. said it with the with the with the with the Lucas McMillan Elmore squad, but I know he repeated it when Moses came to town. He mm. like, hell, you know, I'm, I'm Lefty Drazel. I can coach, and we are going to be the UCLA of the East now that we got Moses. Well, about an hour later, Moses leaves and takes ABA money. Uh, you know, and, and Lefty's broken hearted. Broke I mean, Lefty was heart. really, really. Oh, people still talk about, about that, that in college park basketball circles. Yep. Yep. I mean, yep. honestly, it really does go. Uh, number one, death of Len Bias. Number two, Moses Malone. You got, and, and 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 the loss, the one hundred two one hundred overtime game, lost to NC State. Yeah, uh, that, where, they, where, they, where only one team was going to the tournament. That's number three. Right, exactly, exactly. Because Moses is number two. Right. Because people oh, talk about it in yeah. a way. Oh, no question. Dave, he was the man. That It's just like, because part of that, it's the whole thing about Maryland never really gets the big-time players. 
which well, you see repeated to today right. with people, of course, like Carmelo Anthony, Camaro, um, Kevin Durant. The local Maryland guys don't stay at Maryland. It's this constant thing that people always talk about. And so Moses Malone's name always comes up because we're not talking about all Americas. We're not talking about high school diaper dandies. I mean, we're talking about people who, when they're 17, you're like, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was Moses. Yeah. And, and then, you know, then he, so he, he left, broke, broke Lefty's heart. He goes to the league, and then the biggest thing after that that I remember was the faux 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 statement in the in the, at the beginning of the NBA 80, playoffs in '83, where yep. he was basically saying we're going to sweep because only three only three rounds then, and that he was going to they were going to go they were sweep the um, sweep into the championship, faux, and faux, they faux. went faux five faux I think right. I think they lost one game, but they went four zero against the Lakers in the final, mm-hmm. and he dominated, and this was hard to say. My man, who I think is the greatest player of all time in the NBA, Kareem, he dominated Kareem in that series. I think he doubled his rebounding average. You want to hear a Kareem story about that? Yeah, please. Is that he did dominate Kareem, and it was so mighty that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who at the time I believe was 35 years old in those finals, maybe 36. He was class of 69. People can do the math. So he was either 35 or 36. Kareem went to Pete Newell's big man camp that mm-hmm. summer. Mm-hmm. He sent Kareem to summer camp. Here's Kareem, <laughs> already top line player, already you know in the discussion of greatest centers of all time by his mid-30s. Had already won six MVPs by this time. Mm-hmm. And he sent Kareem to summer camp. <laughs> That's how insanely mighty Moses Malone was. Yes. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. He... You go back and the amount of racism in sports coverage about Moses. Like I was going through the archives for that article I wrote. Yes. I mean, it's really stunning. Great article, by the way. Really stunning. Like a, basically um, not only offensive racially, but offensive regionally. Like equating a southern accent with stupidity as well. And being black with a southern accent. Woo. Right. Might as well put a dunce cap on his head and put him in the corner, according right. to the media at the time. Right. What do you remember about Moses? All of that. Because, first of all, he's a funny guy when you got to talk to him, you know, off camera and all funny. that. But he did not talk. And then he, you know, he wasn't the most schooled or, or polished and articulate when it came to the interview sessions. So, you know, mumble. Uh, didn't you know? Didn't elaborate. So, oh yeah, you know, in the shoe fits. You talk about nineteen seventy, seventy four, seventy five, seventy six. So, mm-hmm. what are you going? You know, I I heard a great story from someone who was an assistant coach with the Blazers, uh, and he w- was taking uh, trying to actually recruit Moses right out of uh, right out of high school, mm-hmm. and so he's trying to connect. He emailed me this great story. This this random person after he read my article, and he talked about like trying to just make conversation with Moses in the car in Portland, and he's saying to Moses, he's like, so what do you like to do? And and Moses just says, pool. (laughs) And so what he does is he takes Moses to like this like very fancy swimming pool in right. Portland. <laughs> and and he's just like, "Here, don't you want to sign with Portland? We have these amazing indoor aquatic facilities." And Moses just like, "Nah, nah shooting man. pool." A shooting pool, man. You know. And it's just like, ball, so, eight ball. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the disconnect was very real, which is why, oh lord, if reality tele- television was allowed at the, allowed at the time, 19-year-old Moses for the Utah Stars Probably was something special. Wow. You got it. But, hey, we got to go to break right now. Thanks so much for that, Coach. Cool. Uh, we'll be back after this. One, two, Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. 
Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. I'll tell you who's neither safe nor sound, Dan Baker, for choosing this track. Wow. Bam. Whoa. And, but, hey. Hot fire. No, I know. You got so, Trump-itis today, don't you? So one of the, you know, you're kind of cute, coach. <laughs> I like your face. You got a nice you got face, a face, coach. You got a nice face. I got your Believe face right me. here, pal. Believe me. I don't know why you're on this stage. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Uh, hey, we got to talk uh, first week NFL season because to me, this is actually the most interesting point because everybody makes these bold predictions before the season starts. Mm-hmm. And then week one happens and people flee like rats off a ship from flee. their predictions. I mean, remember last year, Tom Brady was ready to be thrown onto the scrap heap. I mean, and that was after like four games. I mean, there's just so much impressionism with this sport instead of knowing that you're not really going to know anything probably till about four weeks in. So with that said, though, let's all be rats on our relative sinking ships and find out what we would like to run from when it comes to some of the things that we said before the start of this season. I mean, I'll tell you mine right off right off Jump Street to get us warmed up so folks, y'all can think. Uh, I, this is one thing I regret saying already and one thing I absolutely don't regret saying. One thing I regret saying a great deal is I really, really believed, I knew there would be a second AL, um, AFC East team. I almost said AL East. Hmm. AFC East team in the playoffs. I knew that. One would be the Patriots. And I really flipped a coin, Dolphins or Bills, for the second one, with Mark saying the Jets for some reason. Still the Jets. Um, they want to know. Miami won, the Bills won, but I watched both won. of those games. The Jets won. I watched all three of those games, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's not even close in terms of which team was the most impressive. Uh, the Jets played uh, Mark's favorite player, Johnny Manziel. Just <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> performance by Manziel. Did he cry, Dave? Did he cry, Dave? Oh, he cry. should cry. I thought he. I, th- I actually called Mark. Wanted to call him to see if he was crying when Merrill right. Hodge said the Browns would just, just cut him now. But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. They don't have any quarterbacks. That's, that's on neither here nor there. Starting with this, the, the Bills were by a country mile the most impressive. And I'll include the Patriots there too against the Steelers. The Bills were the most impressive team going against a Colts team that a lot of people had going deep into the playoffs. The Bills looked fantastic. They didn't even have Darius Marcel Darius on the field. And they looked fantastic. Sammy Watkins, zero catches when they figure out how to get him the ball. Tyrod Taylor just looked amazing back there in terms of doing what he had to do. Greg Roman, people slept on that, that he's the off. I slept on it, him being the offensive coordinator there and thinking what Roman did with Kaepernick when he was the offensive coordinator in San Francisco. And I love the spirit of Rex Ryan, love the spirit of the Bills. If I had to do it all over in my big impressionism, I would have not proclaim the Dolphins as the team to watch in the AFC East. I would have proclaimed the Buffalo Bills. That's my statement of great regret. My statement of non-regret is I said that the Washington football team would embarrass itself at some point. It took only a couple of days. The news dropped (laughs) after we did the show that RG3 is playing scout safety. They released Kai Forbath, their kicker. Gee, that'll solve all the problems. (laughs) So, you know, that that was probably almost fish in a barrel, although I didn't expect it to happen in a matter of a couple of days, but there you go. Embarrassing, humiliating themselves once again. Mean Mark, yes. what is the prediction that you made a week ago that you wish you could run from right now or at least uh, don't feel great about? And uh, what are you still feeling good about? Well, I, th- I think, one, everybody absolutely slept on the San Francisco 49ers. 
I think it, that I, I not, didn't necessarily say anything about that. I did say that the Cardinals were going to be the team that, were, that was going to challenge the Seahawks in that division, and I'm not exactly sure about that because all of the teams actually look really good. You might have had something right about the Rams on that, the Rams yep. being able to go out and take Seattle. I still feel great about that, that prediction. It, it's, a, it's a good pick. I, I don't know if Foles will stay with it all season, but that's a really good division. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of a pick that I think you got right and I got right yet last week, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are for real yep. this year. And if you look at what happened with the rest of the division, the Oakland Raiders are a tire fire, as they always have been. Even worse, though, than a lot of people thought. They're really bad. Yeah. The Chargers, they're getting old. And Stevie Johnson... Stevie Johnson and Keenan Allen can't save that team. And Melvin Gordon, as a, as a rookie running back, isn't going to do it. Denver is interesting, and I know, I know we, can, we can talk about this later and about Peyton Manning and his noodle arm. The team is in flux. It's going it's to change. And if you talk about the Broncos, they're going to be a running and defense team. It's a really good really good for C.J. Anderson if he, can, if he can stay healthy with his turf toe. But that defense looks really good. Yeah. But the most complete team in that division is the Chiefs. Well, what, what, what prediction do you regret the most, though? I was I was trying to stall while you were doing that. I think I think I, I think probably something about the the Colts Cowboys Super Bowl and and watching watching Des Bryant go down with a broken foot and the Colts look not great at all. Against wow! Them. So you regret that more than saying Johnny Manziel would throw for four thousand yards? I mean, he's the starting quarterback of a team. He's still going to be fine, honestly. Jesus he's thirty five hundred yards. It's going to happen. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's like you so watch this. Nightmare. We'll double that game down against this the Jets. It's like in terms of Ma- Mariota and Manzel are facing off against each other. The Titans' defense is not a good defense, although they did take advantage of Jameis Winston. I think Manzel's going to look good this week, and we're going to be talking about it differently next week. Oh, so so unlike the erratic Jameis Winston, the cool and collected pro Johnny Manzel will do just fine against the Along Titans' defense. Along with the running backs, we're going to take advantage. That's of That's a dark, dark prediction. You okay. guys, you I, guys. I'm going to die on Johnny Manziel. Hall. Clearly, clearly. I'm glad I missed your prediction show. You guys, clearly. What are you guys talking about? Look here. Washington, except for the riffraff. Washington, Tampa, Oakland, Jacksonville, and March Bears all lost at home. Everybody else held, well, I'm sorry, Houston to Kansas City, what you mentioned. Everybody else held serve at home. What's the panic button? I don't understand this. Indianapolis will pound the Jets on Monday night. Uh, the Steelers will win. Uh, what is this? This is just holding court at home. That's all they did. Come on, guys. What's well, the overreaction? Stand by your predictions. This is ridiculous. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm leaving. No, no, I'm wow, not standing by anything. I, I feel, I feel <laughs> very, very – I mean, I thought – I mean, if you saw that Dolphins-Washington game – I mean, it was it was bizarre. It was almost like the Dolphins were half awake and just sort of stumbled to a seventeen to ten victory. And I mean, only because by the because of the grace of Washington's awfulness did they win that game. Uh, but coach, to yes, you sir. though, yes. is there anything you thought going into Week One that you want to change your mind about, or are you just so solid, so secure, so chill that nothing in that first week has gotten you down? Nothing is giving you the shake and bake. Nothing? I, I'm intrigued by Mariota. Uh, two things. Mariota is, because they're, they're coming out, they're going to throw the ball like, well, let's, let's, let's say they're going to be Philly South, because they're talking about letting them throw that well, ball. Well, Philly's not pitch, Philly pitch North out. so far. Yeah, so they'll be all right. I mean, Mariota um, did throw 16 passes in the game, so not right, a whole bunch. Right, but that first quarter, that first half was fantastic. And the other thing, Carlos Hyde was the best 28 on the field, and he's the real deal. You know, he well, came out of Ohio State. And everybody forgot about him because he didn't get on the field because behind Gore. Right. But I watched him run. I mean, he's got size. He, mm-hmm. he, he got speed to the corner. He's got vision. All the stuff. Who was the third pick that Cleveland took that's out of the league now? Trent Richardson. Yeah. All the things that Trent Richardson didn't have, 
he's got. He's the real deal. Yeah, and I think that Rashad Jennings is the real deal too. The teams. I can't talk about teams right now. Really? Rashad. I Jennings. like him. He's he's getting Who? old. He's kind of brittle. Who? Who are we talking Rashad, about? Rashad running back. Yeah, Rashad Jennings. Yeah. The I Giants really running like, back. Yes. He's not, how old is he? He's he's past thirty. Why are you even bringing him up, Dave? I don't know. Just because I, I was just think I was honestly it was a big a mental leap because he did a couple of things where he waited for a hole to develop and in, in the game Sunday night. And I remember just thinking to myself, why couldn't Trent Richardson do that? Why is it so hard to wait for a hole to develop? And just Trent, for Trent Richardson, he would just barrel into other players like over <laughs> all this speed, all this strength. Mm-hmm. But this is about physics. Like I don't care how strong a two hundred and fifty pound man you are. If you're running into seven hundred pounds of meat over and over again, <laughs> you're just not going to go very far. Can I? I, I would say real quick, but I want to ask Mark about yep. what, what, how you feeling about your Bears. I mean, I th- they, they fought hard. They 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 fought yeah, hard. Yeah, that wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I know Dave's excited with it with his with his coaching and the yeah, John my, my Fox. coaching. Yep. Yes, I I think I was really excited about how much Forte they used Forte. Great. Forte looked great. Can't this hold is, up. He's thirty. We'll be thirty next week. Yeah, there, there's a distinct possibility about that. Whether Alshon Jeffrey takes that step and can be like the good, good the high echelon number yeah. one wide receiver, their yeah. offense could be really good. The defense is still really bad, though. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Vic Fangio or not, three four defense. They're playing people out of position. Jared Allen's a stand up three four defensive right. three four linebacker. It's not going to be good. Right. I mean, they're not like Steelers bad, but they're that's pretty bad. Right. Yeah, that's, Steelers. That, that stands out to me, Dave. Yes. The Steelers secondary. The three of us go out there and start. No, I was going to say like I didn't think the Bears defense was that bad. I mean, given the, that they were going against Aaron Rodgers, Jordy, I mean, Jordy, Ro- Jordy less the Jordy less Jordy less Packers, the James Jones on the team for four days before. Yeah, but James Jones that's that's mm-hmm. almost like doesn't count because of the rapport that Jones and right. Rodgers have. I mean, he scored fourteen touchdowns in a season right. just yes. a couple of years ago. Oh, so you can't so you can't quite say James Jones got pulled out the scrap heap and scored because I mean, you know, that one man's trash is another man's treasure. James Jones is Aaron Rodgers' treasure. Like, he clearly loves throwing to him. And Aaron Rodgers is just playing a different sport. It's just kind of (laughs) – so, I mean, so if I'm a Bears person and I'm thinking all this stuff that we're talking about, it's like I'm feeling pretty good about my coaching theory and what what we can see. Real quick. That that good coaching that – that, uh, oh, oh, my coaching theory is that the Bears are going to surprise only because they have the best offensive and defensive coordinator combo in the NFL Uh, with Adam Gaze and Vic Fangio. That's my that's my prediction anyway. No John Fox. I mean, he's the hit yeah. man. You know, John Fox, I think, has actually shown historically that he's smart enough to leave coordinators alone. <laughs> and that's a good thing. It's important to get out the way sometimes. That's a very good yeah. thing. <laughs> but I, so it, it's very interesting. Any week two matchups excite you a lot. I mean, anything that you're going to be thinking about. Like, for me, I'll just say very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, that Titans-Cleveland like I'm honestly like no. so smitten with no, Mariota. It's, it's gonna be fun to watch. I'm Mariota so smitten can... with Mariota. I want to see what Come happens. On. How, How can you guys not honestly? say New England going into Buffalo after that's all that praise you I just was, heaped on? I was the gonna say Kansas City and Denver because that, that's gonna be the Thursday night. Well, yeah, game. it's gonna yeah, be huge. Denver going yeah. into Kansas City. Yes, yeah. that. But I mean, it's gotta no, be it's New, New England, England Buffalo. Yeah, it's gotta be New England. Yeah. It's, it is New England. And Demarco playing. Dan, how how much is Buffalo gonna win by? Uh oh. Negative. Oh, <laughs> and DeMarco plays. We'll do a bet on the air right Dallas, now. Dan, right? Dan oh, how many points do you give me? Oh, you, that's you wrong. Me there goes Zyron. You know, uh, Will you give me Mr. points? Backdoor. Sure. How many do you want? Seven. So you're saying Patriots have to win by more than seven? Yes. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, I'll take it. Ah! I mean, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> shall, shall we bet, say, uh, $20 just for no. fun? No. Just for kicks? Sure. <laughs> Okay, uh, hey, for every, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Our next guest is a sociology professor at the University of Texas at Austin and is a leading expert on the politics of sports. His most recent book, Race, Sport, and Politics, in 2010. And then in 2013, he co-edited the Blackwell Companion to sports. Before moving to Austin 11 years ago, he was a semi-professional soccer player in England. He is an awesome Twitter follower, at or follow, I should say, followee, at Ben H. Carrington. One right-wing website once noted that Ben Carrington, quote, is a typical app academic that inserts two parts race and one part gender into every issue with a twist of marks. End quote, which is a description he quite likes. So happy to have him on the show, Professor Ben Carrington. How are you doing, sir? Hi, Dave. I'm, I'm great. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very nicely. Thank you for asking. So, yes. anything new in Austin? It, it's been quiet, actually. Oh, very quiet. You should ask. You, you, you've joined <laughs> us at a very quiet time. Um, not much happening on campus. The, the sports program's all doing well. And so, Just a placid yeah, moment. <laughs> <laughs> not, not much to report. You called us at a bad time, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd, I'd, I'd have lots to say. So Steve Patterson, a person who has been described to me by some of his detractors as invincible, Voldemort, indestructible, the czar, just like that, is gone. How did this happen? <clears throat> We're not too sure. It's actually taken some of us by surprise. But I, in thinking about it over the past 24 hours, I think we have to go back to when he was appointed, was it about 22 months ago now? Mm-hmm. Um, when you had that tumultuous time at UT when the lost Dodds was, well, with all of these things, people are fired, but it's always by mutual agreement, isn't it? That's, that's the term that mm-hmm. they use, which basically means we're, we're going to, before we fire you, you're going to resign and we'll give you a bit of money to go quietly. So, the, so the, the big change actually was when the lost Dodds left after 32 years. And, and the key thing I think that's, that's significant as to how this has happened was that Patterson challenged the old boys network in Texas sports. Mm-hmm. Um, when they decided then to make the next change, which was to fire or to mutually agree that, that, that Matt Brown should step down. Patson did it his way. He didn't go to people like Red McCombs, who's a very big figure in, in Texas sports and Texas politics. Uh, U- University of Texas's uh, Austin's business school is named after Red McCombs. One end of the stadium is named after Red McCombs. Mm-hmm. Red McCombs normally gets to decide who's going to be the head coach. And Patson basically told him where to go. So right mm-hmm. from the beginning, Patterson decided that he wanted to establish himself uh, separate from, the, from that old network. And those people weren't happy. And what's fascinating is that those people are now back. Uh, yesterday's press conference when the new interim AD, Mike Perrin, was introduced. Who was there? The Lost Dodds. Really? Uh, who was the person that spoke to Greg Fenves last week to let him know about the concerns of the coaches? Mac Brown. So, so Mac is back. <laughs> Delos is back behind the scenes. Um, Delos and, and Mike Perry, the new AD, are, are long-term friends. They've had a friendship that goes back 20, 30, 40 years or so. Um, so, so part of the story, really, uh, as much as we want to say, you know, it was about 
um, coaches being unhappy and faculty being unhappy. It was the old power network of the old boys network of Texas that that uh, that Steve um, Patterson thought that he could usurp. And they've come back to, to, to tell him, actually, no, we still run things in Texas. Wow. Well, just to explain things, wh- why are so many progressive faculty, progressive students, progressive <clears throat> members of the academic community, just so people get a full sense of who Steve Patterson was, why are they glad that he's gone? Why am I getting so many happy messages from this sector of the Texas community? I know it's not because they love the old boy network. So what, what, were, what were their beefs with Patterson? Patterson was he hyper commercialized every aspect of the athletics department um he he pursued a ruthless revenue generating and profit maximizing agenda and in doing so he sidelined things like the academic interests of student athletes in my view mm-hmm. he sidelined and had no interest in trying to pl- placate the kind of the wishes of the faculty. So, for example, uh, one of the one of the things that the Lost Dodds was very good at. He was he was a he was a politician effectively. He, he was a, a, a schmoozer. He would he would let you know that you were the greatest. That, uh, as, as an example, there was a, a meeting that we had when Delos was in charge, in which he there was there was a contentious meeting, and, and halfway through the meeting, Delos came over to me, and he put his arm around me, and he said that he'd just been talking to Bill Powers, the then president, the week before, and they both agreed that I was a great faculty member, <laughs> and you know, what could he do to kind of alleviate his problem. And the thing about it was that I actually believed the loss at that moment. I actually mm-hmm. believed that the loss and the present were talking about me, and I was a great faculty member. The loss knew how to handle faculty and to smooth over some of the contentious issues. Whereas when Patterson came in, he lacked any of those interpersonal skills. And so, so this past year, for example, he he doubled the price that faculty and staff pay for their tickets, um, and he accused faculty of getting cheap tickets on the 50-yard line and reselling them on the secondary market for a profit. So he, he, had, he had little time for the, the kind of the, to, to, to kind of smooth over any of the uh, relationships with, with faculty. And so he, he basically he rubbed people the, the wrong way. But he didn't just do it with – and we shouldn't have been surprised. In other words, if he's willing to sideline Red McCombs, he has no interest in trying to placate the interests of faculty and others on long campus. So, I mean, explain if you could maybe get inside the mind of Steve Patterson for a minute. Is it, is it, is it just a question of ego that he wanted Red McCombs and the faculty to all know their place? That he wanted to rearrange the power arrangements at Texas that had existed for decades, or did he think that this was actually a means to an end to bring the athletic program to higher and higher heights? There, there is a paradox there. There is there's, there's, yeah. there's definitely a, a Patterson paradox because, and, and he is an interesting character. You know, if you look into his background, he got his first GM job when he was 32 years old. He, he was the GM of the Houston Rockets when he was 32, mm-hmm. and he took over from his his father Ray Patterson, who'd been the long-term GM there for 20 plus years. Um, so one of the interesting things and one of the stories that needs to be kind of written is actually, I think, that is the, attempt, the extent to which Steve wanted to establish himself as his own man, separate from his father's shadow. Because all of those, you know, uh, all of the old boys network in Texas, they were all friends with his father, Ray. So part of it, I think, was, was 
seized as I'd say, I'm my own man. I'm not my father's son. Um, and one way to do that is, in a sense, to kind of differentiate myself, to, to say to the old boys network, no, I, I stand apart from you. The, the other part of it was that... and I, You, know, and you, you just gave me this image of Red McCombs being like, I'm Mo Green. <laughs> I made my bones in this town when you were banging cheerleaders. Exactly. It's very I mean, Corleone. Young... Jeez. <laughs> The young son comes along and says, yeah, like, like all of your connections mean nothing to me because there's a new agenda in town. And, and Patterson's agenda, I mean, in, in many ways, I, not that I quite feel sorry for him. I mean, I feel sorry for the hundreds of staff who've lost their jobs over the past few years for the cutbacks at, at the University of Texas who are earning $40,000, $50,000 a year and, and, and have been struggling since they lost their jobs. Mm. But it is quite clear what Patterson's agenda was. You know, one of the stories that Patterson likes to tell was about when he took over the, the Portland Trailblazers. And he went in there with an agenda to kind of cut costs to increase revenue, because that's what he does. Like he, he, is the, he is the embodiment of the, of the neoliberal sports executive, where the only thing that has a value is the, the price that you can exchange for it on the market. Mm-hmm. So he went into the, the Portland Trailblazers, did an analysis, and came to the conclusion that they were overstaffed, that all these people that weren't generating money, that they were, you know, kind of just func- uh, you know, bureaucrats. And so the story that he liked to tell is that he came up, he realized that they needed to fire 90 people, that he needed to fire 90 people. And there was pushback. People said, no, you can't fire 90 people. Even, you know, all these jobs are essential. And he said that he compromised. And in the end, he fired 88 Mm-hmm. Now, now he tells this story himself. Like this is the oh, story that God. he likes to tell. So it's like a backslapping story mm-hmm. in front of boosters. And, yeah, and, and it's a kind of nod and wink that of course I'm willing to compromise. You know, there were two people that you know still held the jobs that shouldn't have been there. So that was his. But that was his agenda coming in, into, into UT, and he was hired because of that. So actually, I think there's a slight hypocrisy of the people that are now criticizing Patterson, because he's, he simply revealed what many athletics departments do all the time, except he didn't do it with the losses kind of suave and political nouns, which kind of covers up some of the, the, the less seemly kind of aspects of it. And mm-hmm. so in, in many ways, I think Patterson is like the, the Donald Trump of college mm-hmm. athletics, that uh, all of the GOP who are complaining about Trump, they created Trump. He, he is mm-hmm. the unvarnished version of what that type of, of, of Republican politics is like. And in many ways, I think we, we, we should thank Patterson because he's shown us actually what it means when you decide that you're going to maximize revenues by taking the men's basketball team to China to play a game in the middle of the academic semester and then when they get back a week later take them to the Bahamas for an invitation. <laughs> yeah. so the, the student athletes miss two weeks of the semester in the fall semester. Um, that makes perfect logic if you are the Houston Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder to play those kind of games in China because it's a big market. And It makes less sense mm-hmm. if these are actually students first. And so in many ways I think that, that Patterson's getting kind of blamed, but he actually embodies, I think, the contradictions of college sports right now. Yeah, Red McCombs was not upset because students weren't being put first, right? <laughs> yes. Right, yes, just yes. to be and clear. So, so you had you had like almost like very odd bedfellows coming together with a united contempt towards this person who found himself with no constituency because the only thing he'd really been able to do was piss everybody off. But on, yeah, that's, and, that's my read on it anyway. Yeah, and, and he has supreme confidence in his own abilities that's the other thing about about, about patterson is that he he, he and as you know as you may well know we've got two athletics directors at ut which is interesting everyone talks about steve being the athletics director he's not he was the men's athletics director mm. plonsky is actually the, the women's ad right. um but in in these meetings like he would he would often assume that he was the smartest guy in the room 
And that's kind of problematic when most of the people in the room are, are faculty members with PhDs. M- most of the time, he wasn't even the smartest athletics director in the room. But that, 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 that sense of self-confidence, uh, he, he exuded all the time. And what it meant was that he, unlike when he's a GM, he has still has to report to a billionaire owner. There is something mm-hmm. that kind of looks over what Patterson was doing. In this role at, at, at UT, where there were no, when the athletics department has no oversight, he had nobody to report to. You know, in, in most academic settings, you have a chair of a department, mm-hmm. then you have a dean, and then you have a provost. He effectively was a chair, a dean, and a provost all rolled into one. And the president of the, president of, of the university isn't keeping a you know, week-to-week check on what's going on with athletics. So he, he had nobody to report to. So every, everything that he wanted to do as a sports executive to increase revenue, he was able to do with no pushback. I, only, I have two more questions in only 90 seconds to, for you to answer them. So first question is very quick. Uh, the most progressive thing that a lot of us cheered that Steve Patterson did was hire Charlie Strong, first black head coach, University of Texas. Is Charlie Strong's job now in jeopardy? No, not in short term. In fact, in fact, it's probably helped him a bit because a new interim AD is highly unlikely to fire him. But that said, given that the old boys are back in town, don't rule, rule out the Mac Brown return. You heard it here first. Oh, mm. Jesus. And the second question, for people like you, Ben, who are fighting the good fight to actually make Texas a university first that happens to play sports instead of a sports department where they happen to have classes. Is the, <laughs> is the firing, the resignation of Steve Patterson, does that put more wind in your sails, less, or is this a wait-and-see moment? This is one of the most worrying moments because the danger is with this kind of euphoria of Patterson being fired, that there'll be a reversion back to the old system. And the old system was as problematic as, as what Patterson was trying to do, but in a different way. And I actually think we should thank Patterson because he's exposed the kind of ruthless nature of what, what athletics is actually about. So the progressive position now is not to naively and uncritically embrace the new AD, but to put pressure on Fenves to say, we need a different model. We have to move away from the old boys network and not the neoliberal uh, kind of um, neo- neoliberal structure that Patterson put into place, but something else. It needs to be a, a third position, which really does centre students first and make sure the faculty have oversight of, of athletics, because at the moment we don't have that, and that's what we need if this whole enterprise is going to be truly committed to the, the, the education of students and, and making students really be students first and athletes second. Wow. His name is Ben Carrington, uh, a former professional soccer player. Oh, by the way, he happens to do a little bit of teaching and writing and tweeting at Ben H. Carrington. Ben, thank you so much. That was so incredibly clarifying. Thank you so much for being with us on Edge of Sports. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you, Dave. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, too. Mm-hmm. That was Ben H. Carrington. Man, I, that, that was so helpful. Yes, sir. Yeah. For understanding what the heck is going on there. And it matters. I should have ex- um, underlined this before we started, is that when you talk about Texas, you're talking about the biggest athletic department in the United States and the most profitable athletic department I in the United States. I thought it was Ohio State. No, 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 no. Really? I looked it up. I know you did, but I Texas just said what I thought. Texas network, right? Yeah, Texas, yeah. The, yeah. the Longhorn Network. Yeah. Right. But think about that, too, because you have the SEC network, mm-hmm. and then you have the Longhorn Network. Yeah. The Longhorn yeah. Network is all Texas, yeah. and they give a piece out to the other teams. SEC, they got to divide everything up. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has its own network. 
Who does? Notre Dame. That's, Notre, N- that's, that's NBC. NBC. Yeah, well. Man, <laughs> yeah, hey, so? 1998 called. They want your joke back. <laughs> Sorry. Lindsey Nelson. But uh, then you could say 1992 called. They want that comeback back. All right. Uh, that was uh, how I insulted myself. Uh, let's go to break. We'll wrap up the show after this. <laughs> Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we are back here on Edge of Sports Radio. We were just jawing in the break as we wrap up the show about the horror show of that Republican debate last night. You know what the people who are smart did? What I did, people smart like me, is instead of watching the beginning of that debate, I watched Chris Hayes' interview with that young man, Ahmed Muhammad, Uh who made the clock, and he was a 14-year-old kid, and they were like, oh, it's a bomb. This kid was so self-possessed, so cute, so kind of geeky, and you just had this image of him being interrogated for 90 minutes by local police. They wouldn't let him call his parents. I mean, it's just it's so awful the way they treated this young man, and he's come out of it uh, with his smile intact. So uh, Ahmed Muhammad, he gets my, my thumbs up of the week big time. Now, Coach, before we go, uh, one of the idiotic questions they did ask at the Republican debate was, uh, what woman would you put on, I think it was like the $20 bill? Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm surprised none of them didn't say, it's an outrage that we're replacing Andrew Jackson. I love the Trail of Tears. I'm surprised that wasn't said. <laughs> but um, but thrown to – seriously, I actually am. Yeah. But, Coach, what, what woman would you put on the $20 I, bill? I agree with Farina. I think it's um, – I, I thought it's a symbolic gesture. Women make what? I don't know the number, but they make three times less than men in the workplace. So the three quarters of what men? You know, what men? So you know, it's symbolic. I don't. I agree so with her. She, she just dismissed it and was like, "This is symbolic horse crap." Yeah, I mean, come on. Fiorina said that. Yes, she did. Mm, I hate yeah. agreeing with her. Um, <laughs> what about you, Mark? Yeah, that's tough. Not with your wife sitting next to you. Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King's a great answer. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's so weird. Like I'd, I'd go with Emma Goldman, except Emma Goldman would then light the money on fire because she rejected the concept of money. The ghost of Emma so Goldman. So it would just be the, the ghost of Emma Goldman, or her adherents would hate it. I mean, it's sort of like putting Malcolm X on a postage stamp when Chuck D said, most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. So th- these are always weird questions for me, and I refuse to say I agree with Carly Fiorina. I'm not the uh, sellout coaches, so no offense. <laughs> so, um, so instead, I would just say I would say I don't think it should be a woman. I do think it should be Andrew Jackson with a big black X over his face. <laughs> that would be my call, my man. There we go. Hey, for Dan Baker, Sam, who's in the house. Great to see you, Sam. Silent Sam. Uh, Coach Kevin McNutt, Mark Barry, I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.